2: Welcome to this special episode of Dunked On Prime. Nate's guest today is Keith Smith of SpotTrack. If you'd like to get all of these special episodes, in addition to Nate and Danny's excellent regular work, you can subscribe to Dunked On Prime at dunkedon.supportingcast.fm. That's dunkedon.supportingcast.fm. So this
3: is becoming, certainly I hope, a yearly tradition to be joined by Keith Smith of SpotTrack and the front office show to discuss the CBA. And we have a new one. We want to get into how it's working so far, what we wanted to see that was not in it, what we want to see that is in it. So Keith, uh, let's get rolling here. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm uh, excited. I, I'm glad we don't have a new CBA every year to discuss. That would probably be a little bit too much for my brain to process, but but uh, I'm happy to discuss this one with you for sure.
3: Yeah, well, so let's, uh, let's get right into it here. You and I talked almost exactly at this time a year ago, I'm looking at our notes of all the things that that we went over that we wanted to be in it, that uh, we, even the ones that we were pie in the sky, we knew probably weren't going to happen. So let me ask you this, when news of this most recent CBA broke and we truly got an understanding of what was in it, what surprised you the most?
2: I think it's the, in general, how much they tried to push the most expensive Teams back towards the pack with the various penalties, restrictions, call them what they will, on those teams. I thought that was really further than i ever thought they would go we knew there was going to be some of that for certain but the level to which they they put restrictions on those teams that was easily the most surprising thing to me
3: oh yeah i, I mean it is remarkable I mean, the the thing that really surprised me the most was the what they the frozen draft pick aspect cuz that mm-hmm. was just a totally new kind of punishment that these medieval wizards came up with <laughs> because <laughs> uh you know we'd seen a system restrictions when you're over the apron right that was something that came in in 2011 all right we'd seen more restrictive tax uh, over a certain amount, we'd seen a, a repeater tax come in, so they definitely strengthened all of those things, and including the second apron, for example. Like a lot of that was just building on concepts that had come out before. And I, I'm not a huge fan of the frozen draft pick thing personally, but that is that is the ultimate hammer. That is really going to make it so teams are just not going to stay in that second apron unless they just are, it's like, you know, they got like the 2017 Warriors that they're trying to keep together or something.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And that's the perfect example. Cause unless you're winning at that level, there's just no reason to to stay that expensive. And and I think uh, I'm with you. I don't really love the frozen draft pick thing either. I think it's going to end up being for an average fan. All of this stuff is already extremely complicated. That's going to be even harder to track and remember and all those kind of things. So I guess that's good for guys like us who provide that <laughs> service of, hey, actually, uh-huh. they can't do this, right? So that that's one thing. But I do think what is... Um, interesting too was, right? We, we knew. Even if that one was a specific surprise that they were gonna hammer the Warriors, the Clippers, where the Nets were headed as a team, uh well, what those teams were gonna become. But I think even just putting more restrictions on the the traditionally expensive teams, the teams that are above the first apron, uh, even that, right? The no bio players for those teams uh when that comes, meaning the the bio guys who made 30 million and now are gonna sign a minimum type bio players those the uh, the the trade matching rules for those first apron teams i thought those were uh, really kind of interesting um with that not not being able to use uh, tpes and those, those sorts of things that that was interesting in addition to that i really feel like the nba was saying hey if you want to pay the tax that's fine but if you want to pay you know more than just the normal amount of the tax we're going to make it hard on you to do things and then if you want to be really expensive Guess what? Resign your own guys, sign your draft picks, and fill out with minimums because that's your only options you realistically have left.
3: No, it's a great point, and uh, I think it's it's really I'm not gonna say it's that surprising to me that it got to that level, but I, I think a lot of what they're doing makes sense, and like I think they finally. Uh, I guess we could talk more about this, whether this actually accomplishes their goal or not uh, in a way that maybe all of these previous strictures didn't. Now, I still maintain that this wasn't really an actual problem and that everybody was making so much money off of your clippers nets warriors uh, of last year's vintage for example all the teams that are way into the tax that historically these teams that are well above what would be considered the second apron now it wasn't actually like you know some guarantee that you're going to win or that you couldn't compete with those teams and that just the nature of the way that you had to get above that apron and the type of players you'd have older players more injury prone that you would be getting kind of by definition overpriced players to get up to that strata that this wasn't some huge problem for competitive balance so but the league did throw their weight around and they got these restrictions put in uh so i guess the, the next thing i want to ask you is there's been a lot of talk that like the players kind of sold the farm away. We can talk about that a little bit more, but do you agree with that? Like, do you think that there was like, if you had to pick either the owners or the players as a winner of these negotiations, who would you pick?
2: Yeah, that's tough. Um, I I don't think the players gave everything away because there's some stuff like, it's stuff to be completely honest that i don't really focus all that much on because it doesn't have anything to do with the salary cap and the way rosters will be built that the players got in this the ability to invest in things they weren't allowed to before and how they can uh, you know capture some equity and those kind of things like th- those are all very very important things that i haven't focused a lot on because it's it's really got nothing to do with how you build a roster but those are important on their side i think So I I, I tend to think. The idea of tamping down how much ownership is spending on one side with pushing the other teams on the other side up by saying you got to meet the floor, and if you don't, there's going to be a cap hold, and you won't share in some of the taxes. I think that sounds really good on the ownership side because I think it's far more likely that you've decreased the spending on the high side than you're going to push those teams all the way up. It was pretty rare that a team finished... Under the floor, it was, you know, maybe one every few years. If you kind of averaged it out, since that's been a thing. So I really think we're in a spa where it is just kind of. Owners win because they probably will spend less and not spend quite as much as they were previously, anyway. So, I think you know, maybe they kind of won, but I think the players did well in this. I don't know that this is an outstanding uh win, one one way or the other.
3: I think the players won. I thought they won based on everything that's reported. I I don't really dive into how the sausage is made in terms of like the revenue and 51% and exactly how the salary cap uh, is set, but the players got more revenue added in? Like when is the lot like that? Yes. Okay. The technical band didn't change, right? It's still 49 to 51%, but it's now forty-one to fifty-one or, or, or fifty-one to forty-nine percent of a larger pie than it was before. Yeah, like that's that. A great point. That is something that uh, I mean, they got their asses kicked in the twenty eleven CBA, and then in the, they haven't even really talked, uh, at least in the twenty seventeen CBA, about the idea that you know we could go back to anywhere close to the fifty-seven percent that it was before then. And it's that fifty-one percent that is, to me, made sports teams uh, or at least these NBA teams so incredibly valuable, in addition to plenty of other factors we don't have to get into so i thought that the players actually getting more revenue added to the pie like couple hundred million bucks i think is about the best estimate that i've seen of that like that's big and like clearly it would seem to me that that happened because the owners were so focused on getting this Pseudo-hard cap in, which has always been a non-starter for the players. And yeah, the players kind of caved on that. There's still an ostensible soft cap. I get that aspect of it, but it's not generally this is gonna be a hard cap once the restrictions come in. We'll talk more about that too. Uh like how it's kind of affected teams when they know it's coming in and this is like the last year of freedom. But yeah, I thought that if the player this is largely to me only affecting a couple of teams a year, and so like most teams were not going to go more than 15 minute or million into the tax that are just about any circumstances anyway there's maybe 3 4 teams a year that were going to do that so yeah the players to me gave up something that for the vast majority of players unless you're like you know some veteran who wants to go for the taxpayer level to Golden State, like everyone else, all the other players really have won to me. And so and also, I think the the players actually did better for the middle class, as people others have said otherwise. So, but to get more revenue added to the pie, I, I was shocked to hear that because that's completely against the way that these negotiations have been going in basically every sport over time.
2: Yeah, that, that really is a good point, because I, I think I, I'm very fond of saying I'd rather split a half a watermelon than have a whole grape. And one of the things I think about this, right? They're they're splitting you know, a whole lot of watermelons in this case. And yeah, now you're getting even more of it. So I think that is. You know, really important to note that. And then just the the ability for these guys to take, I mean, we're seeing players now, and it's going to be regularly, that their contracts are going to be approaching, you know, quarter of a 1000000000 already over that, half a billion dollars uh, in, you know, a single contract. Um, that, That's just where we're headed. And then the ability to not only share in the, you know, half of the revenue, but also to then down the line, take that and turn that into you know, even more generational wealth through some of the things they can invest in and put equity into and in the, in the like. That, to me, that just gives it much more of a, hey, we're all in this together. Let's keep growing this because then even though we're, we've added stuff to the pie, we're all going to keep growing that pie where we're all going to benefit uh, in the end with that. So, yeah, that, that's a huge thing for the players. and And I don't think they did anything that is so – restrictive on um, player movement that it's really going to impact them. max guys are still going to get the max guys are still going to get traded i mean we've already i know we're going to talk about it in a little bit but we've already seen a lot of movement and those kind of things because you're going to have some teams that are going to basically say uh, restrictions be damned! I'm I'm going for it. I'm I'm all in, and I'll sort it all out two three years down the line. Whatever I need to do, so I I think guys are still going to get their money one way or another. So I don't know that the players lost much of anything, even if maybe you have a couple teams kind of saying eh, we got to pause. I'll be interested two three years from now maybe even four or five, even more so, looking, did it really curb teams getting super expensive or did more teams throw it up and really treat it as, hey, we have a hard cap we're working under, we can't mess around at that number, or do you still have, like you said, it was only one, two, maybe three teams a year, are we still going to have those one, two, three teams that are like, I want to win a title, if we blow past it, fine, we'll figure it all out later.
3: Yeah, so I think that's where I wanted to turn next is, are these moves that have been made by teams like Boston, by Golden State, by Phoenix, are those indicative of how restrictive this is going to be the Clippers to like that everyone is racing to get while well, the getting's good as far as being expensive.
2: Yeah, I think anytime we have a new situation like this, there are uh, known consequences going in and then some unintended consequences. And I think one of the unintended consequences was uh, teams the ones that immediately jumped to mind for me are Boston, the Clippers now with acquiring Harden uh, Phoenix, obviously, and then Milwaukee basically saying, yeah, you know, we're supposed to have this year of, I've been referring to it as, this is your get your stuff in order year, uh, that yeah. uh, we, we gave you this you know one year to kind of get your your stuff in line, and then we're going to really start hammering you with the penalties. And I think those teams especially took advantage and looked at it and said, you know what, last year to do a lot of this stuff, let's go. We'll go all in, and very much we'll, we'll figure it out a couple years down, down the line. We'll figure all this stuff out. And I don't know that the league was really intending for that to be the way this was going to go I think they hoped it would be kind of more what the Warriors did of trade out Jordan Poole and the long-term money bring in Chris Paul Um, you you were one of the first ones on it that I remember hearing kind of hammering the idea of hey yeah the money is more or less balanced now, but Chris Paul is almost a get out of jail free card because of the non guaranteed nature of his contract after this year. He's still very tradable and the team can just move on. Um, so I think the Warriors really looked at it and said, All right, let's shed a little bit of long term money while still leaving ourselves the ability to add later uh, if we want to. We could do that. And then you saw, you know, I think a couple of the other teams, like, like I think Philadelphia prior to this trade, they'd been a little more cautious of, all right. Do we really want to mess around with the 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 um, second apron? Uh, Miami was clearly that was you know, part of their whole thinking on this. And then you've got your normal kind of teams that are, right now we're in the tax like New Orleans. Uh, the Lakers are there. Uh, Chicago was uh, a couple weeks ago. Those teams are all kind of dancing around the tax line like normal. But I think you really had that handful of teams say, forget it, last chance saloon at really loading up. Let's go load up. And then we'll figure all this out down the line what this means. Do we need to get out of some of these contracts and the like? And I don't know that that's what the league really wanted this to turn into.
3: Yeah, I suppose there will be more consequences for the likes of Boston. And Phoenix, uh, those are kind of the two that are really careening towards it. And we'll see, of course, with the Clippers, you know, they, they have all these free agents now coming up after this year and how that goes. They could resign all those players and in theory be just as expensive as they have been. Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since twenty. 20- we ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types and helix offers 20 unique matches Every sleeps differently and helix matches are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences hot or cold side sleeper back sleeper so take that helix sleep quiz find your perfect mattress in under two minutes I'm here in the program, That's 20% off your first order at American-giant.com. Don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us. So I think the other thing that's been really interesting to me is, and we saw this even going back to when the 2011 CBA came in, but there's all these new scary rules that not a lot of people understand and they make a great excuse. For some of these teams mm-hmm. that basically are just trying to save money. Yep. Uh you know, the Atlanta Hawks are like, "Oh yeah, if it weren't for these <laughs> new rules, sure, you guys would have been 25 million in the tax, no problem." <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's exactly what you're going to do. Too bad these new rules change that for you.
2: Yeah, co- completely agree. I mean, that's yeah, well, oh, we had to move John Collins because of the new rules. You you would have moved John Collins under the old rules, like where you you were where you were at and where you're headed as a franchise. I, I do think uh one other thing maybe a slight unintended consequence but i think it's now at least on the player side going to work out to be a good intended consequence like i think of a guy like reggie jackson getting the five million dollar taxpayer mle from denver when i think most of us had him pegged as a minimum salary guy coming in and i think if you're the nuggets you're looking at it and saying well we keep a guy who we liked was well liked in our locker room and you know what we got him to waive the no-trade clause, so now we have a tradable five million dollars salary that we wouldn't have had oh, otherwise. We, you know, because not likely you're going to go pitch a free agent on, hey, sign here. We might trade you by the deadline, but you know, sign, sign here and take our money anyway. Um, now with that taxpayer, MLE, they went and gave Jackson a little bit of a bump over what I think anybody thought he was going to get, and now you have that. And I think there were couple of contracts like that where teams might have said you yeah, know well, we'll we'll plus this up a little bit Because this turns player X into tradable salary that we wouldn't have had otherwise. And I think that's, we saw that with some of the rookie scale extensions. I think that was a little bit of what happened with like Peyton Pritchard, uh, why the Celtics were willing to lock in. And then I think on the player side, those guys are looking around and saying, "Uh, you know what, I'm not going to get a large chunk of cap space. And these teams may look at it now and say, you know, we need to fill out depth. I can't give the full non-taxpayer MLE to one guy. I get to split it up, you know, at least on two players depth wise. So, you know what, I'll lock in for less money than we ever would have seen guys sign for years past. And I'll take a little bit, a little bit less here, but at least I lock in some money as opposed to being standing around when all the chairs are gone and the music stops. And now all of a sudden I need to take a minimum deal or just resign with my team anyway. So I think those were a couple of the other things that stood out and jumped out to me as teams built out their rosters.
3: Yeah. I think that's uh been a, a pretty great way to look at it and it's uh yeah i i think this whole idea you started to hit on it here i i would say and what is your opinion? I I know mine is that the middle class is doing fine and maybe better than ever. But do you agree with me on that? That that's like because that's been a, a criticism like, oh, the CBA deal killed the middle class. somehow. I don't really understand why that's supposed to be, I guess, just because like not as many guys are signing with the tax MLE places. But that was, you know, what is that? Four players a year or something. So what do you think uh, of that criticism that the middle class has been negatively impacted by the CBA?
2: Yeah, I'm with you. I, I don't see it either i just think it happened in a different way than maybe what people thought it would and maybe again in the way the league intended i think if you look at a team like memphis uh i think the league would have preferred that the grizzlies sign someone uh, with their mle of 12.4 million but instead the grizzlies did their work via trade. Um, they've also done a lot of their work by re-signing their own guys and extending players and making sure they took care of their own in-house. And I think that's what we saw a lot of these teams do. It was either re-sign a guy or, you know, through this uh, latest round of rookie scale extensions, you know, extending players. Like in years past, I think you would have seen the Nuggets and like Zeke Naji, they just wouldn't have got a deal done. It right. would have been, all right. right, you're going to restricted free agency. Now instead, hey we gave you, you know, first year salary of 8.9 million and great if it works out awesome we have a good backup big for 8.9 million if it doesn't work out that's 8.9 million a tradable salary that we would not have had otherwise i think we saw a handful of contracts so i don't think the middle class died it just got done in a different way you you just didn't get it done via you know guys signing for the exceptions and all that and i think teams are being a little more conservative with the exceptions on the idea of now you can use them as trade exceptions uh that's a whole new thing in this cba so maybe we'll see one or two of those happen this year. If it's a little bit later and it's, hey, we want to get this guy who makes $6 million. Now we have an ability to go do that. We wouldn't have been able to do that uh, in prior years and those kind of things. So I think that's a uh, just a rebalancing, but yeah, I don't think the middle class died out at all. If I, I always say over on Spot Track, you can pull all of the salaries and rank them in order. In the max salaries, yeah, they're higher than they've ever been, but there's about the same amount of them as there's always been, and then there's just about the same amount of guys in the range of eight to 25 million as there's always been too uh, it's just it just how we got there was in a different way
3: yeah and certainly if you see more rookie scale extensions, I think we're basically right at the record. This year for mm-hmm. and it's not like the 2020 draft is like some unbelievable killer draft, right? Like I think we're pretty close to like what the 2003 draft was and the 1996 draft were like those are like all time drafts. I don't think we're gonna be looking at 2020 that way. So and that's really those extensions are probably... More of how you get to those middle class con- uh, contracts than oh someone signed for the MLE uh, in free agency mm-hmm. and and the other thing I'll point to for the middle class is the room exception being a real contract now that you can sign for three years like vasily Misic Sasha Vazankov for example like those guys are part of the middle class for sure that you can get some of those best players in Europe now to come over for. Uh, that type of a contract for a player who wasn't on your roster didn't have bird rights uh i think that makes a lot of sense i think we're and that room exception not only does it provide a mechanism in and of itself but it also is a reason for teams to have cap space and maybe you give out you know a 15 17 million dollar contract i think this year's rockets are kind of an example of that of like you know jeff green jock landale getting paid guys where The Rockets kind of needed to use some space. Yeah, the Brook Lopez thing fell through, but you had some teams, the Kings were another one, where, all right, they created the cap space. They renegotiated some of things. They still have more cap space, and then they also have the room exception to use as well. So there are just so many more tools to give out that kind of mid-level contract than there have been before.
2: I, and I think two things that uh, really changed things, and these are both with this CBA, so it ties right in perfectly to our discussion. They effectively flipped the room exception and the taxpayer exception mm. to two different, you know, they're... they're the tax Emily is now roughly what the room was and the room is now roughly what the taxpayer was, both in terms of contract value and in terms of now with the room exception, you can do a three-year deal. And with the taxpayer, you can only do a two-year deal. So you kind of basically flip those. I think the other change, which was one of my favorite changes, and uh, we jokingly refer to it as the Rob Polinka rule, which is the second round pick exception, hmm. which is- Oh, I now- thought
3: I would have thought the Rob Polinka rule was uh, the D'Angelo Russell- like, even if you have a, a player option, you can waive your no trade. I would have thought that because Rob, Rob gives out those player options like candy, right? So, <laughs> See, yeah, I think that's
2: the positive <laughs> version of the Rob Polinka rule. This one is the more poking fun. Because well, well, no, for... this is, yeah,
3: this one's kind of poking fun too, right? Like, it's a he would bit always too. Yeah, give out yeah. the player <laughs> option, then couldn't trade the guy. Now, nah, like, the, this rule kind of builds him out, but yeah, yeah, yeah no, that's it. it. it that's it. good. I hadn't heard that referred to as the Rob Palenka rule, that second round picking option. Yeah.
2: Yeah, he just went so many years in a row with, well, we didn't conserve any of our exception to give to, you know, these guys on a longer contract. So it was like every guy was getting a two year deal and then yeah. hitting, you know, arenas level free agency. And I was like, what are we going to do?
3: In, in fairness, um, this also goes back to Mitch Kupchak, right? Like, wasn't he? He yeah, was the one with Jordan yeah. Jordan Clarkson uh, yeah. as well. They didn't do it for him either. So it's a, yeah. It's yeah. a, a long-standing <laughs> Laker tradition. Tradition. Laker but, yeah. exceptionalism.
2: <laughs> there it is. But now with the new second round pick exception, teams didn't have to carve out. That that money out of you know one of the other exceptions, which is generally out of the non taxpayer, um, they didn't have to do that anymore. And so that allowed them to use whether they did or not. It allowed them to to use that. And you, know, we saw the vast majority of players that signed out of the second round, uh, outside of a couple guys whose draft rights were a little older, they signed via this second round pick exception, and that got them those four year contracts. The uh, you know we're really putting in place. I thought that was a smart change by the league and the Players Association and say, hey, if we're all going to do this anyway, but we want to introduce a little bit more spending power, let's just make this a thing because every team was signing these kind of deals almost you know unilaterally when with second rounders that they weren't signing the two-way deals and that's you know that that was a really good smart change I feel really good about that one because I just feel like that's a you know intelligent way of all right if we're going to do this anyway and we want to juice the spending power a little let's just make this a thing and then you can go into you know using your exceptions however you want to
3: you talk to as many agents uh, basically as anyone that. I know. What do they think of the third two way?
2: Yeah, it's interesting. Um I think it started out more positive than then when we saw the way the rosters actually formed up this year. Now I'm hearing a lot of negatives. And it's not the like, like, oh, I'll not that I have a direct line to him or talk to him, but it's not the Rich Pauls of the world who most of his guys are, you know, getting signed and getting really mega deals. It's more the agents on the other end of the spectrum whose guys are, they're fringe players, right? They're two way, maybe end of the roster type guys. They're frustrated because you saw a lot of teams around the league leave an open roster spot this year, and the belief is they did it because they have the third two-way and even with the advent in the cba of the under 15 games rule where you can only play uh, activate all three two-way guys for so many games and they all count you know as one two or three games when you have them active and it basically works out to you know 30-ish uh games that you could have all three two-way guys active with less than fifteen. how many
3: games do you need all three two-way guys active for though yeah
2: but i think what their worry is you had teams Like, for example, Brooklyn, Cleveland, they had enough room probably under the the tax line to bring somebody in, and they didn't, and- now you're seeing the two-way guys are active. Brooklyn changed it up, and it's only been what three, four games for teams. So I'm not gonna go too crazy. But even Detroit, they're a mile away from the tax line. They there's why why are we sitting on an open roster spot? Like that's just weird when you have three guys injured. You know, why why fill that up? But instead they're gonna use up some of their two-way time uh with a handful of their guys that go. So that's what I know. Some of the agents I've talked to are very frustrated because their belief is hey, they they just found a different way to manipulate not signing guys you know so it's we added this and this is almost getting the guy kind of in their mind for free even though obviously two-way players are pay- are paid but you have you know several teams i want to say there's something like 14 open roster spots if i remember right around the league and that's got some some uh, frustration going for sure among the uh, agents who represent the more fringe roster guys
3: yeah i mean golden state is starting the season with two open roster spots that's yeah. pretty much unprecedented and they like all, all their two-way guys now i guess one thing that i'll say maybe the extra two-way spot has helped is you've got more spaces now for guys to actually get drafted uh and like because i I think we've we've seen a record of second round draft picks actually on their teams this year but many of them of course are are on two-way spots and there's many times an agreement if you're selected that you're going to take i I think in addition to what you're saying about the open roster spot and the fact that two guys basically get paid half of the rookie minimum i think that it's uh let's see how should i put this the it's the two way it's kind of it's almost like a communist system where you get a bunch of people who maybe aren't as qualified to uh, like raised up a little bit and everyone kind of benefits there but it's much more difficult to act like those who are on two ways that actually stand out and like deserve to move up from them it just puts your career at such a deficit at the start mm-hmm. because you start in the two way then the team has all the leverage now you've already wasted most of your year on a two-way nobody's ever gonna actually like give you an offer sheet on a two-way that's for sure if, if you don't play ball with the team but those guys just have so little leverage even if they're a good player that it's like you know jose alvarado is another one of those guys right elevated off a two-way and he's just got like you know three non-guaranteed years at the minimum after he was already really effective and playing for new orleans in the playoffs that year so that's uh, if you're really good, you don't want to be in a two-way, but there are a lot of guys who just aren't any good who are getting paid $500,000 a year.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think the two-way rules still remain very favorable towards the team because if a guy pops, you either you just convert him or you say sign this or you basically leave him as fine play out the year on the two-way and then we're just going to make you restricted no matter what. And and I get it from the sense of hey the team took the initial investment and they developed the player at X, Y, and Z. But I, I think there could be a little bit more room to work with those where, you know, I I I I kind of feel like almost if you have earned like a rotation spot while a, while being on a two-way contract. For example, like you said, Jose Alvarado, it comes down to either like sign me to a real deal or convert me, or just, you know, I get to be an unrestricted free agent after the year, or maybe some limited form of I don't know. It's something that doesn't exist right now because we don't really have limited restricted free agency. So it would have to be something. But there's definitely work that can be done. But I, I know there's 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 Frustration, while also recognizing hey, it's another you know hundred or uh, thirty guys rather that have jobs that might not have had jobs otherwise, and that's that's a whole whole other thing where I think they they feel pretty good about that as long as eventually these teams fill out those final uh, standard roster spots, which history tells us they almost always do at some point in the year. And this year, to to your point about the Warriors only having thirteen players. It's always been the rule of you can only do that for two weeks. But then the new CBA, the new uh, wrinkle is you can only do it for 28 total days yeah. each season as well. So that's that's a whole other thing of, hey, you, you can't drop way down roster spot wise. You're going to have to get there eventually.
3: Yeah, that that at least uh, is a decent curb uh, on teams cheaping out with the full roster.
0: BP added more than 70 billion dollars to the U.S. economy in 2022
3: Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets. From there as well, I felt really good about having them be the outfit of my wedding because all of my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you hundreds of of high quality fabrics to choose from european wools linen cottons tons of colors tons of patterns you can customize things like the lapel the vents the pockets and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style level up your game with indochino go to indochino.com use the code CAPSPACE. space user cap we talk about all the time here on the program to get 10 percent off any purchase of 399 or more that's 10 percent off at indochino indochino indochino.com and don't forget that cap space code to let them know that you came from us what was something that you Were pleasantly surprised was in this 2023 CBA?
2: Um, I was really happy they didn't battle over the idea of the cap smoothing Um, and just Mm. seemingly that was a, yeah, we should have done this last time, so now we all get it. We obviously have a much better working relationship between the two parties being the league and the teams and the uh, uh, players association and the players um, of understanding. I got why they didn't do it the previous because it felt like the league was trying to maybe pull one over on the players even if the rest of us are kind of like no this was actually a smart idea then too uh i think them getting to that is good because i don't want another year of oh my god they paid all these guys. I think. What do you call them? The sour sixteens. Um, <laughs>
1: like,
2: I, I don't want another one of those, right? Because it all that does is benefits one free agent class. You know, and that, then you're gonna you get in all the messiness of all right. I got to try to line myself up to the summer of X when the oh, yeah. you know new money will kick in and all that stuff, and that gets kind of messy for both teams and players. And then you have teams that are two years out making roster decisions around. I got a plan for cap space two years from now. Now, and it just gets messy. So I think the whole cap smoothing, capping it at 10%, ensuring that it'll spill over each year till it gets caught up. I, I thought that was a really good and important thing to have um, in this CBA.
3: Yeah, I I wasn't necessarily a surprised. I thought I agree with you. It's really important. To have and we'll see how big that new TV deal ends up being and what the cap spike would have been but yeah to limit that to 10% is good also I think to have it that the C- the uh, the cap cannot decline as well it used to be mm-hmm. like now thankfully the parties were able to negotiate during COVID to have it not decline and that was uh, I think the precedent for this but yeah that would just screw up the system so much if there's ever a revenue decline like there are just there are ways for the owners to claw back that money from the players as they did during covid so i i thought that was good but yeah i think the players and owners learned their lesson from 2016 <laughs> thankfully uh that <laughs> yeah we're when all the money see, for
2: two yeah. years is off the board at like midnight you're like uh-oh what what happened and <laughs> how much does timothy Moskov get paid yes <laughs>
3: is he is he the quintessential sour 16
2: i think so it's you know because i think at least Lou Dang's was sort of understandable, considering what he was as a player. But Mozgov, yeah. that one felt like, well, that was that was one where I remember being like, did I already fall asleep and dream this happened? Because I was still under the midnight start of free agency, and then I was like, no, this actually happened. So, yep, here we are. <laughs>
3: uh, I mean, can you argue that the Dang and Mazgov contracts are like the best thing to ever happened to the Lakers, just because it, it ended up getting Jim Buss out of there?
2: Yeah, yes, that's a uh, <laughs> man. That's. Deeper than I thought about it, but yeah, possibly.
3: <laughs> Cause he was he was like under this pressure, he made that statement, like, Oh, if we're not competitive again in three years, you know, I've said that I'll step down or whatever. And then Jeannie forced him out. And I mean, you know, it's not like he had much of an argument after those contracts and how so bad they still were. <laughs> so, uh, I, I mean, can you imagine like any chance of LeBron James going there? if Jim bus and Mitch Kupchak are still in charge. That seems, yeah, probably hard to imagine, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a good point. I hadn't, I, hadn't thought of it that, that deeply and but yeah, that, that is a good, good, good point. uh I, I will say, too, um, you know, pl- pleasantly surprised. I, I know I already talked about it, so I'm not going to you know, go deep on it. But I I just I thought the second round pick exception was really smart. Yeah. I thought the idea to the, the extra benefit of those don't count against the cap until um, July 31st Yeah, was great. really smart, too, because it's just a lot. You know, now you're not even trying to save on those. And this is as someone who loves summer league. Like, I want to see all these guys play in summer league. And we would always see, you know, either guys. All okay. right. Didn't play, or you know, unfortunately, you might get a situation like EJ Liddell plays and then gets hurt, and it's like didn't even have a chance to to sign. I think that's just really smart. It's it's just those almost seem like wow, there was a lot of common sense things put into this CBA, which just make makes sense. Where it's like, yeah, let's go. I I'm I was super excited to see the idea of using the MLE and the biannual as trade exceptions. I've been saying that should be a thing for years. Now, if I if I'm sitting on it, you know watching Why can't I use it as a trade exception later? I get, you know, maybe why they wouldn't have necessarily wanted it, but because that means you didn't spend that money on somebody else. But they, like we said, that kind of is leveled off on how teams are going to use those or not use them. So I think that was a really fun wrinkle to this, too.
3: What I'd add that I was pleasantly surprised by is the fact that the tax bans and the apron bands yes. are going to actually increase every year now. So because that I would have thought they wouldn't do that because it's like, well, hey, well, we're, we we can't make the tax any looser, right? Like, and they haven't done that before. It's like, we, we got to make this as draconian as possible, really stop these high spending teams. So for it to actually to go that route where it makes sense, like, hey, maybe the tax and the tax bans because the tax would go up but then the amount you would actually have to pay and the apron the apron would go up a little bit but not that much and then the tax bands it was just locked in at 5 million and when you know 5 million it basically means one third as much as it did at the start of the 2011 CBA it didn't make sense to make teams pay so much more to just be a certain percentage over the tax uh, compared to what they would have had to pay when the 2011 CBA and the 2017 CBA came in, so that was that was a pleasant surprise to me. That at least it, it kind of it, it won't make the tax even more aggressive than it, it was intended to be. So I I like that. That was Kevin Pelton was the first one I saw to suggest that, and for some reason I had never thought of it, which was I, I was embarrassed by because was a great idea. Uh, So I think uh, the fact that they actually put that in there was impressive to me. Um,
2: Yeah, it was really smart, too, because I I remember one of the points I think, uh, uh, as you said, Kevin Poe made back when he was talking about it was they hadn't really done those since the 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 non-taxpayer MLE value was like 5 million or whatever it was and it's kind of like well yeah if you want to use this it bumps you a band well we're way, we're, we're now three times that pretty mm-hmm. soon here so it was definitely time to expand those those tax bands and i think the offset was hey we we also we we lessened You're not if you're barely over it's not going to be quite as punitive but yeah. if you're way yeah, over, I like that. it's going to be way more punitive than it was so again it's I keep saying if you want to pay a normal amount of tax, if you want to be 10 million ish over, all right, we get it. But if you're going to go more than 10 million into the tax, you're going to pay for it and we're going to hammer you uh, with penalties and restrictions and everything else. And that's, I, I get that kind of makes sense. Like I was trying to tell someone the other day, like if you've been in a couple years, because this is one that doesn't kick in until 25, 26, if I remember right. If you're more than twenty million over the tax, which is basically like one maybe two teams every year, you're going to pay seven dollars and twenty five percent if you're seven dollars and twenty five cents for every dollar if you're a repeater team, and that's just I mean now you're talking bonkers level of tax bills. That's like crazy. Well, what, what what that'll add up to a, you know a few years down the line. So I, I thought you know kind of the flexing of the bands. Plus the all right, if you're over a little bit, we're not going to ding you, but if you're way over, we're really going to hammer you. I thought those were really smart changes.
3: Yeah, and quite frankly, I it does the system changes the second apron and then also the frozen draft pick. If the repeater tax is for 15 to 20 million, and then you know it'll bump up a little bit per year, the, those bands. But if that's you know six seventy-five per dollar and then seven twenty, like that's just no one's gonna pay that. Like even, even yeah. Joe Lacob is not like there's just like that's such a chilling effect. Already. Like to me, that would have been enough, right? I like there's all oh, Steve Palmer, Joe Lacob. Like, okay, like if to me, if I'm one of the other owners. I'm like, hey, if you if you want to pay me $7 so you can for <laughs> each dollar so you can add 5 million in salary, like you want to just throw 35 million into this pot just to go from 15 to 20 million over the tax and you you want to go higher than that, you're going to throw me another uh another 40 million after that? Please be my guest if you really want to do that. I would much rather that they had just made the financial penalties more severe rather than throwing in all these system things as well. I guess The purpose of the system things almost is just to be like, well, hey, we can't do it because of the system things, not because we're cheap. But I mean, for people like you and me, you're like, hey, I I understand if they feel like it doesn't make sense. To spend you know seven dollars per dollar to go <laughs> yeah. another five million into the tax.
2: Yeah, that gets really absurd. I'll throw one more thing I like too. Yeah. was did just the expanded trade rules, meaning the one hundred and seventy five percent allowance increases to two hundred percent. The five million uh, allowance jumps to seven point five million. The hundred k little extra jumps up to two hundred and fifty k. Those are just smart changes to. Reading the room as far as all right, the numbers they're at probably don't aren't big enough for where all the salaries are going uh, with this. So it just that that's just another smart. All right, let's we we, we got to bump these these a little bit uh, with this, and then tying them to the, to the cap growth with some of that is also important too, uh, because I think that's another piece of all right. The, the the more you can tie everything to if the cap grows by five percent, everything grows by five percent, the easier it makes it on everybody else just to be able to say all right, there it is, there's our number, and off we go. Versus all right, now let me sit down and build fifteen formulas to try to back into whatever <laughs> this number is. We which was getting, you know, to be really kind of cumbersome and confusing for a lot of people. I think it's just as easy to just say 5% growth. Good. We're good. Off we go.
3: So what do you see? At, I mean, of course, we're not that far into things. Some of these provisions haven't even fully kicked in yet, although everyone knows what they are. Do you see anything that's having some unintended consequences yet?
2: I don't know beyond the things we already talked of Leo teams kind of going all in, maybe in ways that I don't know that the league intended for it to happen. Um, I think some of the, and again, some of the contracts that were given out seem to be a little bit, but those those are, in my mind, unintended good consequences because people got paid a a little bit more. I, I think for the most part, it's working even where it's not necessarily working in the way they want it. I think even those are, are going okay in the sense of all right, maybe we wouldn't have had this kind of arms race at the top of the Eastern Conference otherwise. But you know, this is the last year to kind of do that. So all right, let's let's do it. Let's let's kind of go all in on the Damian Lillard trade and the uh, Drew Holiday trade. So I think, think that is you know interesting. I'm curious to see now. Where does like a Philadelphia go? They they no longer have James Harden but They've now got a whole bunch of matching salary you can pile into stuff. Do they say, all right, let's get in there. Let's go get somebody else and we'll be expensive and we'll do a little bit of pre-agency and just kind of get into it. Or is it now we're going to wait, we're going to conserve everything and go the cap space route or whatever it is. So nothing's jumping out at me that screams, oh man, they didn't intend for that beyond the things we already talked about.
3: So the third two way is another one. I would say we are, you already talked about that. Well, the unintended consequence, maybe more roster spots being open they didn't make the penalties for having an open roster spot vis-a-vis the two ways high enough i won that point that shows up to me And we haven't, so so there's two of them. We're already seeing an article about how De'Aaron Fox might rush back from this ankle sprain that he has. I would presume the thinking being that he's trying to make all NBA. And of course you have to pay, play 65 games to do that. He's trying to make all NBA and then he would be eligible for the super match from the Kings this season. But you know, is that, is this requirement that everyone play 65 games to be eligible for awards? Is that going to actually lead to guys coming back early and getting hurt and missing? missing more time or just not being as effective. Eh, I think that's very much a possibility. We'll have to see how that dynamic plays out. And then the other one, this is just a, I'm not even sure if it's a prediction. I'd more acknowledge it as a possibility that I think at some point, because players it's hard for gonna be much harder for players to get to the markets that they want to be in uh you would say because of some of the trade matching rules and just the fact that like it's harder for those teams to take on salaries and also this has nothing to do with the CBA but that so many of the teams in the glamour markets will have traded a bunch of draft picks going forward at some point that may lead to, free agency becoming a big way for guys to change teams again yeah and i don't think it's going to happen anytime soon because everyone wants to extend these days and get paid but at some point it's be like hey well phoenix has no draft picks the lakers have no draft picks the clippers have no draft picks it they can't compete by just outspending everybody so then maybe their plan changes to go the cap space route and that gets out to the people who want to actually be in la or be in phoenix or wherever and then maybe guys don't sign extensions and they end up going to those markets which is of course exactly what the league and the owners don't want is that teams or or players leave in free agency for nothing they're much better off with being under contract and then having a trade request if they want to get to one of those places so that's that we'll see we are years away from that potentially happening but i just want to put a pin in that if it does start happening as a potential unintended consequence of this new cba regime
2: yeah that's a good one definitely the first one you mentioned i i i'm very curious to see this whole 65 games played thing where does it actually end up landing because we've already seen they seem to be a little nebulous to me of like well you can miss more if it was because of x y and z and these sorts of things and all that, like, I'm going to be very curious to see when it comes down. I I openly do not have a vote in any of the awards voting, so it's not something I'm going to be super concerned about with personally beyond analyzing it. But I'm very curious to find out, like, when it comes down to it, are they going to provide all the voters with, here's the players who are actually eligible. And we're going to remove everybody who's no longer eligible for whatever the award is. You, you can't even, you know, don't even look at it and consider it. Another one that I'm very interested in, just because I'm curious to see how it actually plays out, is the draft stuff with the idea of we're going to do player rankings and who's going to provide those rankings mm. and what their draft range may be and making sure that they do medicals and all those things. I think that's all really important stuff that a lot of those guys do those those medicals because I look at it as, hey, yeah, if I'm entering into a multi-year agreement with with a player i need to, to have all that information and we've seen obviously players say nope not going to meet with you not going to do medical testing with you as a way of controlling don't draft me or you take the chance all on you so i'm very curious to see what that turns into i know there's a lot of stuff written in there about confidentiality and how teams could be fined if they share some of this information and all that. But we know it's going to get out. So I'm just, I I, I don't know how that's going to work. And then I think the other idea of players will have the ability to to not attend the combine if they're if they have a, a uh excused absence from it. Is that going to turn into a whole bunch of guys saying, hey, can you get married this week instead of the week after? So I can say I don't want to go because I don't want to be drafted there and those kind of things. I mean, maybe I'm going way too far down conspiracy <laughs> corner here, but it feels like it just feels like that that all has a potential to be kind of messy, even if the intentions I think are in the best place for it. I just want to see how it plays out.
3: Well, so are are the agents that you talked to kind of depressed uh, about that, that they can't uh, manipulate the I mean, I'm sure they're going to try to find new ways now, but that these new rules have come in as far as manipulating the medicals and being able to steer your guy at the top of the draft,
2: yeah I mean again depending on who and what level of player they represent some of them are full-on abolish the draft like they they don't even want that to be a thing because it's like no my guy should be able to walk in and get a max deal day one from anybody and you know kind of the uh bold like uh you know european soccer type model and I've even heard some say if Adam silver really wants to put his money where his mouth is with european soccer like the let's go let's have no draft and let's be that which is kind of funny and clearly probably never going to happen
3: yeah and it's um, also our lifetime. by the way way worse yeah it's I, way yeah worse. i don't yeah like I, I, yeah. I
2: don't want a league where we have five teams can sign everybody and then no. everybody else is just well you know if we happen to hit right on all the development for all of our young guys we made it to the semifinals like i, I don't i don't want the league to be that way either i, I kind of like it the way it is uh, so yeah, there's definitely some that are frustrated with it, and I think more are taking more that I've talked to are going to take the approach of we'll we'll see where where my guy is at at the time, and we'll 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 figure it out. But I think that's code for uh, we'll find a way to meet with who we want to meet with and not meet with who we want to meet with, one way or the other.
3: Oh, All right, I think we're about running out of the stuff that I felt like I, I really wanted. Oh no, there's one more. The Kenneth Farid rule. What do you think of that?
2: Yes. Yeah, I, I like it. You know, I I think they're they they did smart stuff with the extensions. I kind of wish they went further with the veteran extensions. 140% sounds good, but I would have been okay with some level of hey, you if if you got a guy and you want to extend him to the max, that's that's on you. Go ahead, go. But I get it, there's always gonna be the level where it feels like the uh league is gonna do what they can to protect teams from themselves to some extent and say, uh, yeah, you'll go and max everybody and then it'll be a huge issue and it'll be a problem. So I kind of get, get that side of it. Um, But I like the the fifth year for non max guys. I think that's really smart. Um, So yeah, all around, I think making the extensions better was smart. I'm just, you know, I think they could have gone a little bit further with the extensions. I also would have loved to have seen the idea of for a 10 plus year of service max player you can pay them whatever the max is but you could reverse the cap hits so they get paid more at the front and less later the overall money remains the exact same but then that way if their play does decline as they get into their 30s and the like you 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 are covered with that and you know i think you could have done something there with that but that's probably getting a little more creative than i think anybody really wanted to get into for for this level right now with extensions
3: Yeah, I think you and I have disagreed on this in the past. I think I'm just not as much of an extension guy. Like adding a fifth year in, just the further out in time that you go from the moment that the contract is signed, the more likely that either the team or the player is going to get screwed. I think it's just, to me, it's bad for the league to have a bunch of guys making contracts that they're not worth in either direction, frankly. If a guy is worth way more than his contract, or even probably more damaging, I would say for the league if a guy isn't worth his contract at at all. Like, I, I don't like that. And the more you loosen the extension rules, I think the greater the potential... For that kind of deviation as you get later into you know, further away from when that contract was signed. I mean, we're talking for a lot of these contracts, you know, five years out from uh really six years out from when some of these rookie extensions are being signed. Like you have no idea what Devin Vassell or Jaden McDaniels are gonna be. You gotta kind of guess. And I think those contracts are gonna look pretty good for the teams, and it's hard for the player to turn down that much guaranteed money. But I I overall I, I just don't love having a more creating more situations where guys aren't making what they're worth in either direction.
2: I think that's fair. I, I like the optionality of it, yeah. and I do wonder. Yeah, how it's, many it's fun. I mean, it's
3: it's fun. Like if if <laughs> I'm running a team, I I want the ability to do that, sure. sure. But I, I'm uh, I think just overall for the league's health, I I personally don't like it. I understand why people would feel differently, of course.
2: I, I do wonder. Do do we get a story later here where it turns into? Patrick Williams would have signed, but the Bulls insisted on a five-year deal and he was mm-hmm. only willing to do four. And I'm just using that as an example. But I wonder if that did we we start getting some of that stories here now that we're past those deadlines and the like. I, I also wonder if do we see in future years, like Jaden McDaniels or Devin Vassell, all right, you're not gonna max me, but you want me on a five-year deal. You know what? I really need a player option on that fifth yeah. year. Like, does that come back more into play? Because we've seen player options are now back to becoming, it's a special circumstance. It's either you're Jason Tatum, you're Donovan Mitchell, you're Luka, you're Trey Young, like you're a superstar, so you're going to get whatever we can give you, or you're Zeke Najee, and you gave us such a creative structure on your deal. Fine. We're happy to give you a player option. We'll figure it out later, if it need be. I I wonder if we do get into a place where those become a little bit more commonplace because some guys, you know, all right, I'll do five, but it's really going to be a four plus one because I'm going to retain a little bit of control, um, where, you know, with this and where, where I want to go, uh, down the line. So I thought, you know, that that's a, uh, you know, smart thing. And then last thing, just, I don't want to spend a ton of time on it. Cause I know you're, you, you've got other things to do. And James Harden was traded and all that. We didn't talk about it all, but the in-season tournament is, a yeah. you know, is a thing now. And it's a CBA, you know, creation, I guess, or addition, i all i'll say on it is i think it's great if anything that can juice some of these early season games i'm all for it and what i've been telling people who keep saying i hate it well then then just pretend you're watching a regular season game because that's all it is <laughs>
3: well, yeah. well you can't watch, do that with know. the courts but uh <laughs> yeah well true yeah, <laughs> No, that, no I, yeah. <laughs> I i i thought that was i thought <laughs> that was a, a good little point less uh
2: yeah I'm a, I'm a little less um uh you know <laughs> excited about about that part of it but i um but yeah i mean watch a did just you're know, fine if you don't like it. But I, I have a feeling by the time we get into the knockout rounds, people are going to be into it. People are going to be like, this is exciting. And I think the players will be too because I I I've always believed you put something competitive to do or something to win in front of a group of competitive people, they're going to want to win, whatever that thing is. Like we watch these guys come into summer league with hey, I'm I was the first pick, second pick. I'm an established, I'm going to be a star, or I'm a second year guy at summer league and guess what i want to win i'm going to come out here to kick butt and try to win because that's what these guys do so i, I think the in-season tournament's going to be great um i'm really excited for you know what it could be and you know what it will grow into because i also think the league will be smart and they'll tweak it and adjust it as they need to
3: yeah i'm very excited about it as well uh, we're covering it uh with the uh, basically a laser focus Uh, doing gamers pretty much every in-season tournament night that we can. So uh, I'm really fired up for it. I'm going to be there in Las Vegas for the final four. So I I think that was really good. I, I, and yes, is it a bit of a concern that this was kind of required to juice up the regular season? The regular season product is not that good. Yeah, I, I, that, that is a concern to me. But the reality is, I mean, the biggest thing I wanted in there that, of course, was never going to be was uh, reducing the number of games from 82. But if you mm-hmm. can't do that, you can at least have something that's uh, going to give me really competitive basketball. And I hope that these teams are going to treat it like, all right, we're going to play our stars 40 minutes, like treat it like uh, a playoff game, particularly even in the, the qualifying rounds. Uh, as well so that that will be it. I think once you get to the quarterfinals, I think teams are going to take it extremely seriously. I want to see how seriously they take it to even get into those quarterfinals. And I, I actually kind of like, too, that they did it where it all counts for the regular season except for the final. Yeah, because then it's not like, oh, well, if we go out, we'll just get more rest. Right like, No, nah, you still got to play, actually. So yeah. so you're not going to yeah, get more rest. Like- so you might as well go out there and, and have fun and be in a really competitive setting. And I think a lot of coaches even, too, like Eric Spolstra talked, for example, about how the play and really galvanize Miami for their run, playing all these close Mm -hmm. games, galvanize Miami. So I think you're just, most coaches would be like, hey, this is a great way to like actually simulate playoff pressure earlier in the season. Like why not do that and go hard and and really have this be kind of a dress rehearsal for the playoffs as well. So yeah, I I think it's going to be awesome. uh, And uh, I can't wait to see what happens.
2: Yeah, and that idea of even just, yeah, it counts as a real regular season win or loss too. That keeps the teams from saying, well, you know what? We're 0-3 in the group, so we're just going to kind of punt because then you're punting on. If you're if you're a team that expects to be in the mix for home court advantage, well, we probably shouldn't then, right? We, we should probably still play anyway. And I, I think it was really smartly structured. And I think it's going to be, it, it, this goes where the NBA wants. It's going to be generations past, you know, us being around of people being like, caring about this the way they do the domestic cups in both european soccer and basketball it's just going to take years to get there but eventually if you know you keep doing it you keep doing it Teams will want to win those because guess what they want to win those two over there and it just becomes a thing where you know hey if we have a chance at winning this let's try to go win it because i just I, I believe you know i really do wholeheartedly believe competitive people will really try to win when you put something in front of them
3: so uh, the other reason that too uh, another argument that coaches and GMs can make to not get fired. <laughs> nah, yeah. We won the in-season tournament. Look at like, hey, yeah, yeah we, we we were 38-44 uh, and 44 this year, but we won the in- in-season tournament. Now, I, I might be, if I were an owner, I might be like, well, you're able to play so well in the in-season tournament? Well, we clearly had talent. Why why couldn't we do better in the regular season? But uh, hopefully I, it won't I've, work that way.
2: I've already seen the jokes of uh, that going to be the Bulls uh, dancer at the end of the season, at the oh, no. uh, end of season media. Well, remember we were in the in-season the in- tournament final and you know that's the team we really think we are is they you know justify making no changes to the roster ever uh that makes sense like i've already seen bulls fans grousing about that and that's uh you know we're talking months and months away but you know, I guess, I guess they've earned the right to live in a little bit of a different calendar than the rest of us.
3: All right, Keith. Well, this is great. I always love talking about CBA stuff uh, with you. I, I thought our conversation last year did a great job setting the table for the negotiations. And we'll have to check in again a, a year from now and, and see what we'll have all the new restrictions in. We'll see what the summer of 2024 brings and we can take a look back uh, again on what we were talking about this year. So thanks again for coming on, Keith. We really appreciate it.
2: I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. We hope you enjoyed that episode of Dunkton Prime. If you'd like to get every episode with special guests, with Nate and Danny several times per week, with John Hollinger, my daily dunks, Seth Partnell's written analysis, our cap sheets, Discord access, you can subscribe to Dunkton Prime at dunkton.supportingcast.fm. That's dunkton.supportingcast.fm.